<laughs> I was uh, very nearly late for my own sermon then. Um, I looked up and uh, Kate was reading. I thought, I think that's me. Um, good morning. Um, my name is Barry. I w- <laughs> we know. For those of you who don't know me, don't bother. Um, but hey, nice to see you. Um, I thought this was going to be easy. It isn't. Um, slight wobble at 9.15. I'm feeling a bit better now. Hard as nails, mate. Um, you've been friends with John Dales for 14 years. You learned to take the knocks, you know? And um, I actually quite like that song. As I say, it's just a bit of a struggle to get up after the submarine bit. Where I'm going, um, apparently, I need to do things properly, at least sometimes. And today is, apparently, Christ the King Sunday. If you knew that, Christ the King. We travel a journey, don't we, uh, through the year, even if we don't follow calendars and things of, you know, we do Advent and Christmas, and we do uh, Lent and Easter, then we do Pentecost, and then it culminates at uh, the end of this, the, the liturgical year with this thing called Christ the King. The sad thing about it is that most places that know about it don't know about it. They just know that that's what this Sunday is. But they don't necessarily know that Christ is the King. Because Christ the King is sovereign, isn't he? He's the sovereign of the universe. He's the sovereign of our lives, sovereign of my life, even when I forget it. He's the sovereign of this man's life that we read about in this story. And he's sovereign even over the powers of darkness that bound him. So as we go forward, the thing that, that's, that's holding us up is the knowledge that Jesus is Lord, that Christ is King, and that everything we do is in that holding reality, that sense of being part of his lordship. And uh, I had a little picture. I don't get them very often. Um, At least I don't tell anybody about them very often. Of being in a a trapeze act. They're not very fashionable now, but they used to be when I was a kid. You know, and I'm, I'm the poor sucker who has to fly between one trapeze and the other. And it just feels I'm being very lovingly let go, and no one's caught me yet, you know? And the Lord said, well, the compensation is you're flying. How does that feel? I went, actually, it feels pretty good. And he says, you just need to trust in me for a bit. And this morning when we sang, uh, when we worshiped together, I really felt him speaking to me. When we sang that song, I will hold on, I will hold on, I will trust in you. You know, that's us singing to him, isn't it? Exhorting ourselves to believe it. And inwardly, there's a little voice saying, I don't really, I'm quite frightened. And I just felt Jesus saying to me, I will hold on. I'm holding on to you. I will hold on and I will trust in you. You know, there is an investment of trust from God in us because he is king He delegates authority to us, his people. 
And it's that reality that Christ is sovereign, Christ is the king, but we are his um, ambassadors and um, um, his, his delegated rulers that I want to speak about when we look at this passage this morning. Of course, it's essentially about demonology, isn't it? It was a difficult subject that I do not understand. When I first went to a Pentecostal church, I pretended to understand it because I, 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 we, we were kind of like in the young adults ministry at the time and I had to give talks and it, was, it just wasn't the done thing to stand up and say, I don't know anything about this. Demonology, I honestly do not understand it. It may be a challenge to you to even consider that such a thing exists. What I do want to talk about is this thing of the encounter with Jesus, the place of encounter that changes lives, whatever it is that is binding us. And to say that that is what we are all about. That is what this church, all the time I've been here, has always been about facilitating the encounter between an individual who brings loads and loads and loads of baggage and stuff with them and then saying, hello, you're welcome to the church, be part of this community. Can I introduce you to Jesus? And at that point, seeing those people's lives change and just standing back and watching it happen. That is the reality of this church. And my parting exhortation is keep on doing it. Please never lose sight that the point of everything you do is to introduce people to Christ the King, to Jesus. Jesus, who is sovereign over their circumstances, your circumstances, and everything you do for him is ruled by him. And expect radical change to take place. So welcome in the broken, because radical change is a restoration of the broken. And, and, and make a place where that can happen. Let's have a quick look at the story um, before you do anything in life, you, you, whether consciously or unconsciously, you do a little assessment of it, don't you? In, in business, we used to call it a situational analysis, and, um, which is shorthand for what on earth's going on here. And a situational analysis makes you feel like you've done something clever at the end of it because it's got lots of um, syllables in it. But basically, it's just making a judgment. The situation I see, both in Ealing, in Harrow, and every place in between, is that wherever you go, whoever you meet, people have been affected by their environment to some degree or other. They have been hurt and damaged, and in some way or another are bound by something. This man is a prisoner, isn't he? He's a prisoner um, in his own body. He is not free to be the person that he wants to be. He is bound. He can't be bound by chains and ropes because he, 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 he is demonized and he has this supernatural strength, but he is still bound. And people around us are bound by all sorts of things. It might be a spirit of materialism, that kind of sense of trying to keep up with everybody else. Um, I saw a great quote uh, this week, and I completely forgotten who said it, but it was... Um, it was, um, don't bother to keep up with the Joneses, drag them down to your level, it's a lot cheaper. You know, um, as a kind of thing that tickles me. Um, 
But the, the, the reason that person said that is that he, he says everyone's trying to keep up with everyone else, and it's a form of binding. People are bound by obsessions, by the images that society throws at them with, with, with um, sex and um, the idea of image, what we look like, how we come across, and so on. The idea of being popular, of being accepted. And all of that is deepened and accentuated by another binding, which is fear. The fear, the deep-seated knowledge, deep down, really deep down, that all of those things are false. All the things I'm pursuing in life are false. They will let me down, but I haven't got the courage to lay them to one side and pursue something else. The materialism that I'm building around me is false. The, the bank balance that I'm, I'm kind of um, stashing up will let me down. The car that I drive will break down one day. But I can't bring myself to be unbound by them because they look secure. This church, this family, with Jesus, releases people from that kind of bondage. That's our mission. To allow them to set those things to one side and find identity in Jesus Christ. The man who said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what Jesus really said to this man is, God loves you. God really loves you. You have God's favor. The whole of his society would have said completely the opposite. Not only are you sick, you are sick with demons. You are cursed of God. And Jesus just said, no, you are loved of God, and I'm going to release you. That message of Jesus, that, that Luke 4 manifesto, as it's sometimes called, is the manifesto of this church. And my um, exhortation to you is keep on carrying on, St. Paul's. Keep on doing that. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't be swayed by other things, but keep on facilitating that encounter with Jesus and changing people's lives by releasing them by these powers that have people bound. Three quick things on the passage itself. First of all, there is, uh, of necessity, in this passage, a confrontation. Jesus neither avoids nor ignores what needs to be done. The easiest thing for him to do would be to bypass this man uh, who, li who lived amongst the tombs and go into the village and, and do his ministry day, whatever he was going to do. But he didn't. Pe Jesus has a passion for people like this, people who are bound and need release. And he faces the truth of this man's situation and demands to know the name of the one that's binding him, whatever it is. In this case, it's legion, because there were many spiritual forces. And the thing about confrontation is that it can be dramatic. It can be scary. It can cause a form of conflict, because there is change. In this case, there is a form of violent change. There is, there is something external which is quite powerful and distressing. I think if you were there witnessing this, it would shake you to your core. The, 
the verbal confrontation between Jesus and the man and the demons in the man, the exit of, of them into this massive herd of pigs uh, and, their, and their destruction. You remember the film The Lion King where all those wildebeest come over the hill and they stampede, don't they, down into the valley? Which would be like that, except it's pigs. A massive herd, 2,000 strong, of huge animals there's violence in this confrontation. You know, there is disruption to the norm. There's something uncomfortable going on. So much so that in, in, in verse 17, I think it is, they say, well, will you please go somewhere else, Jesus? There is rejection as well. It's not wholly taken on. You know, when, when the kingdom of God meets the power of darkness, sometimes people are frightened by that and say, we, we really want you to go. And my encouragement to you is don't stand back from bringing people to Jesus because you think it might be a bit messy and a bit confrontational, even that there might be some rejection. There always is that. St. Paul's, I think, at, at, its, at its magnificent best is when people are allowed to come here in truth, not in religious pretense, not seeking to uh, act out a particular image, allowed to be themselves and say, you know, if Jesus is there, this is what I want him to do for me. And when that encounter takes place, often there's something dramatic and something um, sometimes even, even violent, in inverted commas, something um, of, of great energy. The second thing is this, that as a result of that confrontation, which Jesus does not shy away from, there is transformation. Now, sometimes when I read a passage, one verse will scream out at me as being the meaning, and sometimes it, there'll be a lump in the throat verse where it just connects with my heart. And I just, suddenly I am that person, and I'm feeling their pain, and I'm, I'm seeing what God has done for them. When I read this passage, it was verse 15, which is the least violently dramatic verse in the entire passage but it just said this the man was delivered of his problem was sitting down dressed and in his right mind now contrast that with the description of him at the beginning of the trap chapter when people come to Jesus they are restored to what they always were and should have been in God they are made to be the person that they were made to be. And it's the stripping away of all the rubbish that causes the dust and the, and, and the rubble and, and, and the conflict. But what you're left with is the person restored. So many people fear coming to Jesus because they fear they will be asked to lose their identity. They fear they'll be asked to conform to someone else's identity be a religious person or, 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 or follow these rules or, or, or do this or do that. When people really meet Jesus, when they really meet him, they become the person they were always meant to be. And, and that's why in a healthy church and a faithful church, you get diversity. You get people who, who like lots of different things because they become who they really are, not homogeneous. Whatever had bound this man had gone. 
whatever he had picked up over the years as a result of whatever circumstances, and we don't know what they were, but whatever his baggage, Jesus cleared it away and restored him. And there's one particular thing here. I noticed that somebody, Jesus or one of the disciples, had bothered to clothe him. Amidst the supernatural deliverance, there's a simple act of loving charity that restores his dignity as perceived by the rest of the community. And the combination of the two things, he is restored. It would have been difficult for him to walk back into the community saying, I've lost all my demons. Excuse me, I'm not wearing any clothes. Someone had loved him enough to go and find something for him to wear to say that is not the way that you were created to be. Let's dress you, let's make you respectable and, and bring you to normality again. And so far from being robbed of his freedom, this man wants to express that freedom by always being with Jesus. And Jesus says the next critical thing, now go and be restored to community. Go back to where you've come from. Whatever else you say about this church, for all its struggles, and, and, and of course there's no such thing as a perfect place, I know that anyone walk, who walks through that door, receives a welcome, will pretty soon be invited to join a life group, will probably have joined a ministry team within about a quarter of an hour, will latch on to the mission work of the church and the evangelism of the church and all the time being tightly bound in community, being part of um, a body of loving people that releases them to be themselves. And the wonderful thing about this story for me is not just the man's healing and the supernatural aspect of that, but the fact that he ends up back in relationship with people as a, a delivered person who met with Jesus who probably never stopped talking about it for the rest of his life. Did I ever tell you the story of? I think, oh yeah, there we go. Probably. Final thing, living it out. Verse 19, Jesus says this, and I think this speaks to all of us. He says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. There is not one life in this room to whom that verse does not apply. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The greatest testimony to how great this church is is how the fruitfulness of people's lives witnesses to the power of God and the transforming relationship with Jesus. I haven't got time to stand here and tell you what God has done for us. Um, it's just hundreds of mini miracles, um, just little stories of provision and guidance and love. And when I doubt where I am and when I'm struggling for the next step in the future and thinking, is this all true? Like someone on a long country walk, like the ones we, we were doing uh, you know, last year in the Chilterns, you just turn around and you look and you see where you've walked, and you can see the snaking path, and he's, along it you can say, that's where God did this, that's where God did that, that's where God did that. Yep, I'm on the right path, I'm gonna keep walking. 
Jesus didn't say to this man, go home and explain the doctrine of supernatural warfare. Explain the doctrine of the Trinity. I'll come to that in a minute. Atonement, sin, sanctification, and justification. And by the way, there's going to be a death and a resurrection up soon. I'll explain that to you in a minute. He didn't say any of that. He just said, go home and tell your family what God has done for you. Don't stay simply in the place of encounter. Don't stay simply in the place of supernatural experience. Go home to your family. You can extrapolate that to your friends and community and tell them. And don't tell them the doctrine. Tell them just what God has done for you. That will be enough. In fact, that's probably the only thing they'll listen to is what has God done for you. Let me finish. I, 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 I guess we, we were going to, well, I know, I've been here long enough. Um, we're going to worship again. I, you may well, uh, and there were people in the last service for whom this was true, feel bound by something. That, that, that encounter with Jesus may have one more thing to deal with. You may well lack the courage to go home to your family and friends and tell them what God has done for you. You may just need his spirit this morning, or you may just need a prayer. Um, Jill and I, as, as just the last Sunday we're here, we would love for people to come forward and just love to pray with you, and there'll be um, prayer ministry people here too. As we worship, whatever you've got that you want to bring to Christ the King, why don't you just bring it forward, and we'll pray for you. And um, God bless you. Thank you for so many kind words this morning. It's, it's very difficult for a person like me. I, it's kind of, oh, please. Um, but thank you. I would have hated it if you hadn't done it. Um, we're going to worship and uh, turn our hearts to, to the Lord, not to me, to Jesus. And I invite you to come forward and be prayed for.